Are you struggling with jealous friends, unexpected temptations, or even big battles? These can be difficult to navigate. But Dr. David Jeremiah, through his study on King David in The Tender Warrior, teaches you what you can do when you face these situations. This month, when you give a gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you the complete two-part CD album, study guide set, and the God Shot devotional. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. While many believers picture God seated majestically on His throne, the Bible paints the picture of a father running in pursuit of his wayward children. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah supports that depiction as he returns to the story of a king who never gave up on his son. From The Tender Warrior, here's Dr. Jeremiah to introduce the conclusion of his message, David and Absalom. Thank you for joining us today, friends. We're uh, running out of time in July. It's going to be finished here before you know it. And uh, I don't want to run out of time to tell you about a resource for this month because it's a very special little book written by Tara Lee Cobble, and it's called Godshot. It's it's small uh, readings on the nature of God, 100 readings. And uh, from what I can read in the literature with this book, you can read these in 90 seconds. And each of these uh, these writings help you understand a little bit more about God. There's an old adage that you cannot uh, worship somebody you do not love, and you cannot love somebody you do not know. If you do not know God, it's hard to love God, and then you can worship God meaningfully. So this book is a real great asset to help you know more about the God you love, the God you serve, and the God you worship. I hope you'll get your copy of it. We're running out of time to tell you about it. You can still get your copy with a gift turning point of any size during the remaining days of the month of July. I hope you will help us the best you can and and show your support for what we're doing through these daily radio broadcasts. Be sure to ask for this book when you send your gift. The book is called God Shot, and it's yours for the asking. Friends, we are uh, getting ready to... Take part two of David and his son Absalom, 2 Samuel 13 through 18. Now I want you to go down with me to the 23rd verse of chapter 14 and notice that Joab arose and he went to Geshur where Absalom's mother-in-law lived and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. So they're going to be reconciled now. And the king said, let him turn to his own house, that's David speaking, and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, and he saw not the king's face. Now let me show you what's going on here. When Amnon raped Tamar, David should have intervened and punished his son, and he didn't. When Absalom killed Amnon, David should have intervened and done something to punish Absalom. And he didn't. Now, after this period of time of separation, David is coaxed into bringing Absalom back together. He yearns for his son. He wants his fellowship. And he knows that he ought to do something to punish him for his sin. But he's paralyzed again because of his own conduct. And so as a halfway attempt at punishing Absalom, he brings him back to Jerusalem and he won't talk to him for two years. They pass in the same city and they never communicate. Their faces never meet. 
And I would say to you that David would have been better off to have left Absalom in Geshur. Because during that two-year period of time, if I read the story correctly, there developed a growing spirit of rebellion in Absalom's heart that was already there in seed form. And during that period of time, Absalom got more and more rebellious against his father. And he dreamed up a plan to literally steal the kingdom away from his dad. It's hard to believe, but it's true. And we read about his revolt or his rebellion in the 15th chapter. The 15th chapter tells us that Absalom decided that he wanted more than anything else to be king. Why shouldn't he be king? David was getting older. Absalom was a charismatic figure, handsome to look at, and apparently he was able uh, in many respects to draw people after him in the same way that David had done in his younger years. And so in the 15th chapter, we read that it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And I want to explain to you what's going on here. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to King David for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, What city do you come from? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, Thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. What happened was that Absalom found his place in the way, which was the, like the court, where people came to have matters settled when they had disputes with each other. Absalom's kind of set up his presence in the court. And when people came into the city of Jerusalem to get an audience with King David to have some matter settled, Absalom would get there first. And he would say, where do you come from? And they would say such and such a place. What's your problem? And they would tell him his problem. He'd say, you know, that is really an important issue. And I need to tell you, it's too bad that King David hasn't put anybody in the way to help you with your problem. It's really too bad. He is undercutting David. He is disloyal to David. Now watch what happens. He's got a suggestion. And Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land that every man which has any suit or cause might come unto me. I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. You see what happened? Absalom has moved into the vacuum created by David's family problems and his growing age and his frailty and, his, and all of the things that are going on in the kingdom. Absalom moved into the vacuum created in David's kingdom and he began to ingratiate himself to the people. They would come to see David and he'd say, listen, David really doesn't care about you. He's too busy with everything else. You know, if he cared about you, he would be here now. Listen, I'll hear what you have to say and I care I'll tell you something, if I were the king, it would be different around here. I want to say to you that Absalom's little plot has been replayed over and over again in businesses and in churches all over the world. There have probably been more church splits with the Absalom syndrome than perhaps any other. And if you read on, you will discover, and so it was that when any man came, he took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. Here's the key phrase. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He stole their hearts. Right there in the presence of David, 
his own son stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And if you read verses 7 through 12, you will discover that having now gotten the people's ear, Absalom came to his father and he said, Listen, while I was living with my mother-in-law, I made a vow in Hebron and I need to go up there and pay that vow. Is that all right? And that was his exit. He got out of the city and he went to Hebron and 200 men followed him. And notice in verse 12, David's counselor Ahithophel from the city offered sacrifices. And the last phrase of verse 12 says, And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. You see what he's done? He's moved in under the leadership of his own father. He's stolen the hearts of the people. He's put together a coup, a plot, to overthrow David's leadership and to come in under it and take the kingdom away from his own dad. Can you imagine that? And can you imagine the pain that David felt? Listen, any of us who have been in leadership, somewhere along the way will go through some throes of what it feels like to have people who are disloyal or whatever. I thank God that we do not have that in this church. We have got the most loyal, faithful, supportive staff I have ever been with in my life. And I don't know what I would do without them. I don't fear them being with any of the people in this church because I trust them and they're loyal. But I've had the experience in other places when that hasn't been true, and it hurts. It hurts. But can you imagine how much more it were hurt if the person who was doing it was your own flesh and blood, your own son? And now Absalom has a following. He has more people loyal to him than David has loyal to him. And Absalom now is in Hebron. He's gathered all these people together. And the word comes back to David. And I want you to notice what happens in verse 13. And there came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David believed it. He knew it was true. And to make a long story short, David gathered up the few faithful men that were still loyal to him. And he evacuated Jerusalem. He got out of town. He said, listen, if we don't get out of here, Absalom's going to come down here with all of his people and we're, we're finished. We're dead. So now what we have, you remember what it said in the 12th chapter, he was going to rise up in division in his own house. We got Absalom and the men of Israel over here and we got David and his few loyalists over here and their enemies, father against son, son against father. Now we're going to jump over to the 18th chapter and bring closure to this story. During the period of time that Absalom has gathered the forces of Israel around him, David has strengthened his hand with his loyal followers. In the back of his mind, David knew that the day would eventually come when he would have to go out and fight against the forces of Absalom. He didn't want to do that, but he knew that that was the only thing he could do to be before God, God's person, and preserve the integrity of the kingdom. And so he was preparing his people. And in the 18th chapter, we come to that awful moment when David's army is going to confront the army of Absalom. And David numbered the people that were with him. And he set up captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Literally, he had three generals. He had Joab and Abishai, who was Joab's brother, and Ittai the Gittite. And he divided his army into three sections and put those three generals over the three sections of the army. And David was going to go forth and go to war with them. And they said, 
thou shalt not go forth. For if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die, will they care for us. But now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you succor us out of the city. And the king said unto them, what seemeth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate side and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. They said, David, we'd like for you to go with us. But listen, if something happens to one of us, it's no big deal. But David, you're worth 10,000 to us. And we don't want anything to happen to you. He's got a group of loyal folks, doesn't he? What an encouraging thing that must have been to his heart. The armies are marching out of the gate. Now remember, they're going out to fight against David's son and David's son's army. And as they leave, I want you to catch the next vignette of David's heart as a father. Listen to this. And the king, verse 5, commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. And I view it in my mind's eye. The armies are all marching out of the city, and they're just about ready to leave. And David says, oh, by the way, before you leave, and he gets up on one of those wooden pulpits, and he said, one last thing. And I see the tears coming down his face. Don't hurt Absalom. Whatever you do, whatever else you have to do, promise me that you won't hurt Absalom. Even though he was a rebellious son who had created untold grief and agony for this king, David could not stop loving him because, as a parent, his love was unconditional, no matter what he had done. Well, the scripture tells us that there is a reward for Absalom. And in the verse, verses that we have before us, we read, that the people went out into the field, verse 6, against Israel. And the battle was in the wood of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. Absalom lost 20,000 men in that battle. And the battle was scattered over the face of all the country. And it's evident there was something supernatural going on here because the scripture says that the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And the wood is a reference to the forest. Though we don't know all the details, we understand that something happened in the forest as they were fighting in the dense forest. That that forest took more lives of Absalom's men than the swords did that were leveled against them. And there was a great killing that day, and 20,000 people died. Absalom's army was decimated. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule. And as he was running, the mule ran under a thick bough of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Now I have to remind you, that Absalom had six and two-thirds pounds of hair on his head. That's not a good thing to have when you're riding through the woods. And Absalom is just galloping through the woods on his mule, and he goes under the low branch of a tree, and his hair catches in the tree. Absalom stops dead still, and the mule keeps going. And there the poor guy is hanging between heaven and earth, dangling there like a little yo-yo. The man who would take the kingdom is now hanging between heaven and earth on a tree. Somebody has written, 
A more melancholy and tragic spectacle can scarcely be imagined than Absalom dangling from the boughs of that tree, deserted by his friends, abandoned by God. Now the cup of his iniquity was filled. The servant came to Joab and said, I saw Absalom hanging on a tree. So why don't you put him out of his misery? And he said, I couldn't do that. That's the king's son. I couldn't take his life. And Joab says, well, I'm not afraid to do it. And I have a feeling that just about this time, Joab, who was like David's administrative assistant, he had had it up to here with David's kids. You know, he had just had it up to here. He said, look, I've listened to the boss all through this time. I've done everything he's asked me to do, but I have had it with Absalom. If he's not going to take care of the boy, I'm going to take care of him. He didn't ask David's permission. He didn't check it out. He just went out there and he took some darts with him. And when he got to where Absalom was hanging on the tree, he took him out in the heart with the darts. And then the servants of Joab cut him down, finished him off, buried him in a pit and covered him up with stones. Thus endeth Absalom. Well, there was only one thing left to do, people, and that was to go back and tell King David what had happened. I don't think anybody volunteered for that assignment. But there was one who came and told him. And the Bible says in chapter 18, as you get to the end of the chapter, that the one who reported it to David was a man by the name of Cushai. Verse 32, and the king said unto Cushai, is the young man Absalom safe? And he couldn't really bring himself to give him a straight out answer, but he answered him this way. And Cushai answered, the enemies of my lord the king and all that rise up against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. <laughs> In other words, David, I could wish that all your enemies and anybody that's ever tried to hurt you would be as Absalom is right now. And David got the message. And notice again, another vignette of David as a father. And the king was much moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. You say, Pastor, what is in this? What do we learn from this? Well, I think we learned two things, and I'm just going to wrap it all up with this long story, and we've covered six chapters. Number one, there's a story here for all of us to listen to as children. You know, the Bible has some strong things to say about a son's relationship with his parents, a daughter's relationship with their parents. I want to tell you something, that rebellion against parents is fraught with agony and pain and hurt, not just for your parents, and I can promise you they will hurt, but it is going to hurt you in the end. You may not be hanged by your hair from a tree, even though your parents may like to do that. You will be hurt in the process. The Bible says that we are to honor our parents, that the days of our lives be long. The Bible says that a child who rebels against his parents will be hurt deeply in the process. There are 12 proverbs that say that in the Old Testament. You rebel against your parents, you are playing a game you cannot win. You may have an upper hand for a period of time and get done what you wanted to get done with your rebellion, but your parents are going to hurt and in the end you are going to be hurt. You cannot prosper and rebel against your parents. It's not possible. It's absolutely impossible for that to happen. 
Some of you kids right now are in the midst of that. And you think you can do your own thing and you don't care what your parents say and you don't care what they want and you're going to do your own way no matter what. Well, you're in the process of hurting yourself deeply. You can't win that game. Then there's a message here not only for children, there's a message here for Christians. You know what I think of when I read this story? I think that David in his relationship with Absalom is like God in his relationship with me. If you follow the story carefully and you read it again today when you get a chance, Absalom never pursued reconciliation with his father one time. He never made one step toward his dad. He never did anything to make it right. In the midst of all of that pain and pressure, it was David who kept going after Absalom and kept trying to get him to come back. It was David whose heart yearned after his son. It was David who cared. It was David who kept going after Absalom and trying to bring him back and trying to restore him to the family. And you know that's what God does to us, isn't it? I used to hear the song, I found what I wanted when I found the Lord until I discovered that it's not even a true song. Most of us in the initial process never were looking for God. He came after us, didn't he? And when you've been out of fellowship with God and you're sinning against God most of the time, you don't go after God. He comes after you. That's why sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, he never confessed it until he was confronted. Well, why was he confronted? Because God just kept going after him, going after him until finally he got him and confronted him. And then the restoration took place. I think about everything that Absalom did to his dad to destroy him, to ruin him, to hurt him and bring pain to his life. And in the end, it never changed one thing about David's love for his son. Parental love is unconditional if it's godly parental love. And so is God's love unconditional. He loves us. So my friend, I don't know what you've done against God or what you feel you have done that's so bad it can't be forgiven. I can promise you one thing. If you're a child of God, God loves you and he's not going to ever quit loving you. He's not going to stop loving you no matter what you do. And he's going to keep coming after you until you finally give up and he's got you back. He's that kind of a God. The last thought that surely is evident in this passage, and it's a sobering one for all of us. This is not a funny message, really. The last thought is that sin has two sons, doesn't it? One is death and the other sorrow. And those two sons of sin will never be aborted. They live out their full lives and they pay increasingly costly dividends. David sinned, and he was forgiven, and God restored him, took away the guilt. But when he went through that process, he set in motion that chain of events we talked about. And now it's the death of a baby, and the death of a woman's purity, and the death of Amnon, and the death of Absalom. And in the midst of all those deaths, Sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. The Bible says the soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Uh, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin always has one son called death. It always has another one called sorrow. You can't win at disobeying God. And men and women, I really believe with all my heart that that's why these things are here in the book. 
not just so we can get up and tell an interesting story, but so that reading that story, we come away from it and we say, okay, now, I understand what happened with Absalom and David and all those things. What is the meaning of all this? The meaning of it is God put that in here so that when we would read it, we would say, I don't want to go down that road. That's not where I want to head. That's too costly a journey. I can't afford it. I will not take it. And we will walk with God. We have been learning a lot about David and his life and his family. Uh, He's going to make one more mistake before we're done with him. Tomorrow is part one of Counting Noses, what David did when he numbered the people. We are so excited about the opportunity we've had to be telling you, and I've been doing it aggressively, about the Holy Land because um, this tour is filling up really quickly. And the problem we're having with the tour is it's going to be capped or limited by the lack of rooms available to us in Israel. We are struggling every day to get more rooms, but um, it's possible that we won't be able to get the rooms that we need for the people who want to go. So whatever you do, don't wait to the last minute. I hope you will join us. We're getting many, many reservations every week, and the tour is filling up. The dates for the tour are March the 12th through the 22nd in 2024. We'll be visiting all the major sites, lots of worship, lots of teaching, lots of visiting. Oh, it's going to be a great time. You can find more about it at davidjeremiah.org slash events. Go there now. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Your notes of encouragement are always a blessing to us. So please write to Turning Point for God of Canada. P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen on our Turning Point Plus streaming service for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. R.G. Letourneau's company was famous for its huge earth-moving and construction machines. When a customer looking at a machine called the Model G asked what the G stood for, 
Laterno salesman, not being sure, said, well, it must stand for gossip because this machine moves a lot of dirt and it moves it fast. Well, that's not a bad way to describe gossip, is it? Spreading dirt around and doing it fast. The New Testament has a lot to say about our speech with one another, while Proverbs specifically condemns tailbearing or gossip. Be a Model G person by being godly, not by being a gossip. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's guidelines for speech on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.